the views expressed on TMI with Aldous Tyler are not necessarily those of WSUMFM, the University of Wisconsin in Madison, or the Board of Regents. Oh no, my friends, the views for the next hour are all mine. TMI with Aldous Tyler for Friday, September 25th, 2020. As it happens, it's my birthday. And uh, what better birthday treat could I ask than to have friend of the show, Carl Gibson, joining us? But why? Well, besides the fact that, of course, I want his company on my great day of birth, he recently posted a wonderful article to his Substack, which you can search out, find it at Free Chicken and Beer or carlgibson.substack.com. The article was entitled, Civil War II is already underway. If Dems don't fight, the union is lost. Carl, welcome back to TMI. Thanks for having me, Aldous, and uh, happy birthday, and Thanks. glad to be with you on this anniversary of your birth. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, you know, the earth spins around so many times, and I'm keeping count for some reason. It does. Um, in any case, so uh, I was really fascinated by this piece, which is uh, uh, why I, I uh, asked you a couple of days ago if you'd come on board. Um, basically, what you're noting, I mean, the subtitle pretty much says it, that civility only works if both sides are acting in good faith. But uh, that you're pretty much saying that the GOP side doesn't seem to uh, possess any good faith in this particular uh, instance. Yeah, and I would actually, I would even argue to say that uh, the GOP has been, I mean, obviously since the days of, um, of Nixon, they've been really problematic. But I think this current iteration of the GOP needs to be treated as um, what pseudonymous author Paul Naylor described in The Independent last year as the biggest insider level national threat uh, since the Civil War. Uh, and I think it, it can be argued that the Republican Party um, is engaging in a sort of procedural terrorism. Uh, and it's really, uh, it really can't be overstated how dangerous the current Republican Party is and how important it is um, that they and their uh, ideology and their um, members at the state and federal level uh, be defeated um, at every possible level. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, right now, we're looking at a situation where just four years ago, the hue and cry from the Republican Party was that, for example, that it was somehow wrong and uh, unprecedented 
for a Supreme Court justice to be decided in the potentially final year of a presidency. Well, in that case, it, with eight, uh, eight years on, uh, the Obama administration was simply in its final year. Their argument was that's completely wrong to uh, have that, uh, that momentous a thing, the, the, a seat on the Supreme Court, decided by a president that could very well be outgoing, in his case would be. Um, and yet here we are four years later, the Trump administration's not looking like it's having a great time holding on to things, although we'll get into that in a minute. Um, and yet they've completely reversed course. Yeah, um, there's, and it really, there shouldn't be any surprise. I mean, people like Chris Saliza will feign surprise at McConnell violating his own rule uh, that he made up in 2016. But I mean, if anyone has been paying attention to what the GOP has been doing, especially since 2009, um, there's really, there's really no justification for anything that they do other than that they want to win and they want Democrats to lose. And when you look at it through that lens, it's a lot simpler. Uh, there was actually a, a comment on Twitter that, uh, Jamel Bowie, uh, who's a New York times columnist, he retweeted this guy. He's like, I really appreciate this guy's honesty. And I wish more people were as honest as he was. And what he said was, I don't care that McConnell is violating his own rule and critical. Uh, I didn't want Obama's pick to be on the court. Um, I want Trump's pick to be on the court. So I supported them blocking Obama's nominee on that uh, argument. And I support advancing Trump's nominee on that argument. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's rare that you see that level of honesty, right, from, from, from Republicans. But that's really where it, what, what it comes down to. And so what, what I really want to convey with this piece, um, the Democrats have, so far, they've been playing by Marquis of Queensbury rules, which are like the established rules for boxing and the traditional square ring with, you know, fighters fighting this many rounds and so many minutes in each round. The Republicans are basically fighting by MMA rules. Like they're, they're using knees, they're using uh, foot sweeps, they're wrestling, and we're trying to stay on our feet and just throw punches. And that's just not going to cut it anymore. Um, and I think what Democrats are going to have to do, uh, assuming, assuming they vote out Trump, um, assuming they take back the majority in the Senate, because whatever happens in the future uh, requires those two things to happen. Uh, I think what Democrats are going to have to do is they're going to have to embrace their inner uh, Huey Long. Um, and I talk about this in my post. Huey Long is a former governor of Louisiana um, who was in office during the Great Depression. And because it was Louisiana, um, there was a mostly white legislature and there was um, a lot of poverty in Louisiana, particularly in black communities. And so Huey Long would find ways to circumvent his legislature to get things done like expand healthcare and education to poor and low-income people and people of color, um, to expand roads and infrastructure projects and hire thousands of people, um, provide good-paying government jobs with benefits. Um, the legislature hemmed and hawed the whole time, and Huey Long just did not care. Uh, there's a great quote where he says, uh, I used to get things done by saying, please, now I'm a dynamiter. Um, and all this is to say, I mean, you could even ask, uh, ask you know, isn't this like what the Republicans are doing right now? And yes, it is. Um, like the guy Jamel Bowie retweeted, uh, you shouldn't be afraid to play the cards that you're holding. Uh, and so if the Democrats have a supermajority, meaning they had the White House, the House and the Senate by January 2021, they should do everything possible to make sure uh, that the courts, not just the Supreme Court, but the federal judiciary 
is stocked up with a bunch of judges to counter what Trump's right-wing judges are going to do and to make sure that we can actually have some semblance of progress uh, that won't be undone by entrenched right-wing extremism. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Carl Gibson. Again, you can find him at carlgibson.substack.com. We're speaking about his recent piece called Civil War II is already underway. If the Dems don't fight, the union is lost. Carl, we've actually seen the consequences of not doing exactly what you're talking about back in 2009, when for a period of time, the Obama presidency had the uh, the majorities needed to really slam through the courts, but that was put as a back burner priority by that administration. As a consequence, once that opportunity was lost, just a couple of years later, two years later, when 2011 rolled around after the uh, uh, after the Tea Party Revolution, if you will, um, all of a sudden from there on in, we are now faced in the situation where we are, where the courts are now jam packed with people that the Tea Party found acceptable. Exactly. Um, you know, in 2009, uh, I think we might have another similar situation to 2009 and 2021. I'm really hoping, and I'm actually pretty optimistic that Biden, having been there, will learn from that experience and will alter his course from what happened initially. Uh, and as everyone will recall in 2009, there, uh, there was a majority in the Senate, not a 60-seat majority. I think it was like 59 seats, but they had a clear majority. They had a majority in the House. Nancy Pelosi was Speaker. Um, Harry Reid was Senate Majority Leader. Obama was in the White House. And really, in, in, and most presidential historians will tell you this, a president's most impactful time in office is their first 100 days. That's when they have the political capital to accomplish uh, their big legislative priorities um, with the least resistance from the opposition because they, they just lost, right? And, you know, and especially before the first midterm. I mean, that's really your time to govern. Because after that, you're basically fighting partisan battles in, in Congress and, and vetoing bills that come your way from, from the opposition, etc. So I'm hoping that Biden, having been in the White House for eight years and seeing Obama extend repeated olive branches to Republicans who, like Mitch McConnell said, um, their chief goal was denying Obama a second term. It wasn't recovering from the recession. It wasn't um, holding the banks accountable that ruined the economy and pilfered the middle class out of their prosperity. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hoping that with Biden's level of experience and with the people who are around him and the people who are in office, uh, and especially, this is most important, with a strong grassroots uh, push to do the right things and appoint the right people, um, it won't be too late to turn things around. There if Trump go. wins the second term, I think it's I think it's going to be a much different story. There we go. See, Carl, that's the, the the last thing you said about a strong grassroots push is precisely what didn't happen with 2009 in the Obama presidency. Once President Obama assumed office, there was a large swath of the center and somewhat into the left that just basically said. Whew, okay, we can sit back, let this guy do it. We we trust what he's going to do. Everything's going to be fine because Obama's got this. I don't even remember that, but the whole phrase Obama's got this was actually really popular um, on social media in 2009, even into 2010, uh, early on, where basically we're like, no, no, he's got this. It's fine. We don't need to worry about a thing. And I believe you're quite correct that the atmosphere is so much more charged right now. And um, 
so much less optimistic, honestly. And I think part of that is because we have seen what happened just 12 years ago. We've seen what happens um, when we do just fall back and let it be. And what's more is it's not as if this time the Democratic alternative to the Republican horror show is being presented as anything but somebody who we're really going to have to push and push really hard if we want to get anything accomplished on a progressive manner. You know, and that's a great point, Aldous. I, I think, too, um, people have been radicalized by this administration, um, particularly in the latter half of this administration, um, starting with the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. That was a fight that the left lost. Um, but you saw a wave of activism um, that really hasn't been seen since the 1960s. You had people shutting down Senate office buildings um, for days at a time. People coming in from Maine, sexual assault survivors confronting Susan Collins, uh, one of whom I interviewed after they spoke with Susan Collins, um, sharing her experience of, of being a sexual assault survivor. Uh, I mean, there was such a, um, such a wave of anger um, with the Kavanaugh nomination, um, you combine that with Black Lives Matter, which has been just been going on since 2012, because uh, there was a lot of this happening under the Obama administration, as you know. Uh, but combining the anger of women who are reeling from losing a champion of their causes in Ruth Bader Ginsburg, combining that with the raw anger against police brutality and systemic racism that's underway, and that is so mainstream that the NBA has it emblazoned on their court during the playoffs. Um, people aren't going to go home. And so I think 2021 is going to be very different than 2009 because like I mentioned in the piece, uh, Obama surrounded himself with Chicago machine bosses like Rahm Emanuel and uh, later on uh, the former mayor uh, Daley uh, as chief of staff and Tim Geithner and Eric Holder and all of these holdouts from Wall Street and these just swamp dwelling ghouls who have just been in Washington for decades and done nothing. Um, I don't think Biden's going to be able to do that. I think he fears the grassroots resistance. Trump doesn't fear it. I think he might secretly, but he would never bow to its will. And I think Biden would. Um, and so I'm actually, and Aldous, you might disagree with me here. I think a year or two from now, I think the left might be thankful that Bernie wasn't the nominee and that he wasn't the president. Bear with me. Um, I think if people... If the Bernie left got what they wanted, if Bernie was in office or even Elizabeth Warren, I think we might do what Obama did um, we, or during the Obama years and just go home and say, we elected our guy. We've done our job. Now let's sit on our laurels. And that's not going to happen with Biden. People are going to keep fighting. And that's exactly what needs to happen. Oh, no, I sure as hell am. Um, here's, the, here's the thing, too, uh, and this might be an interesting example, kind of a counterpoint. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Susan Collins got taken into account with how uh, things have changed. Uh, if you want to know one way in which societies become much, much more sensitive to uh, more, uh, more of a left and progressive point of view, if you will, I want to, just for a moment, bring up professional wrestling. Yes, I said professional wrestling, because in this last year, there has been an actual movement akin to the Me Too movement that has held to account numerous 
professional wrestlers who in the past have uh, been people who had practiced sexual assault and had practiced um, uh, just basically sexual um, discrimination uh, against female coworkers, whether they were wrestlers or other people uh, attached to the various wrestling uh, promotions. Um, And not only were they held to account, a lot of them were fired or just straight off uh, canceled, if you will, on social media and, uh, and forced into the, you know, to, to retreat. And professional wrestling, Carl, if you can't name one single thing that you would think might be proof against uh, the kind of uh, movement that we're talking about, you might go, oh, well, it's, it's, it's you know, the kind of thing that your, your average person in Alabama is going to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go watch me some Hulk Hogan. Uh, I, yeah, and you make a good point. I think American politics, if someone from another country asked me, how to best understand the American political system, I would tell them to watch pro wrestling. And I would say that with a straight face. Um, it's, it's, it's theater, right? It's professional stage combat and, oh, yeah. and very well choreographed stage combat. Well, having been, done, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Having been an actor and having done stage combat, I mean, it's, it's difficult uh, and they make it, they do what they do it well. They make it look convincing. Um, it is theatrical. It's entertaining. Um, it's very um, high stakes, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Each wrestler has their own story, their own ideology, and uh, a fight between two top wrestlers is often a fight between different ideologies. Um, and so, and of course, there's always aggressive self-promotion going on. And I think all those are endemic of American politics. Um, but, you know, to a larger point, we are, we are in the midst of a very high stakes fight right now. Uh, and people say this every four years, but I honestly do think this election uh, historians will look on this election as the most impactful of at least the early 21st century, if not the entire 21st century, uh, given, given the closing window on taking action for climate change, given the um, drastic uh, consolidation of power by the extreme right. Uh, we, we are witnessing, and as I mentioned in the piece, uh, we are witnessing a civil war by the far right's foot soldiers on our streets, uh, driving into crowds of protesters, um, shooting people like Kyle Rittenhouse allegedly did, uh, and an institutional, procedural, and often psychological war being waged against us and, um, and our consciences and our minds. Uh, Donald Trump has lied more than 20,000 times, according to the Washington Post. Uh, and there is something that gets done to the human brain when it's subjected to that amount of deception, manipulation, and disinformation. Um, and, you know, of course... And this is a whole other topic, but the forced hysterectomies against immigrant women on the border in um, camps with inadequate facilities, which are, you know, which concentration camp experts say qualify as concentration camps. We're in a very, very um, pivotal moment in our history right now. So I can't stress enough the need for people to really fight and to do things that they might be hesitant to do in, in normal circumstances because these are not normal circumstances. No, no. If Trump, if you're going to stop um, just short of saying Trump himself is Hitler, you can at the very least say that he has allowed those who would follow in Hitler's footsteps to have tremendous power in his administration and to go and do uh, these these, uh, catastrophic things to people all in the name of um, of nationalism all in the name of authoritarianism, it's just like a certain 1930s into 40s administration in Germany. Well, look at what the Trump administration did today, Aldous. Uh, 
Attorney General Barr declared uh, New York, Portland, and Seattle as uh, anarchist jurisdictions, uh, which I would argue is a prerequisite for declaring martial law. Uh, and so, I mean, we're there. All of the most hyperbolic uh, predictions of what would happen in a Trump administration have come true in the first four years. You know, I, I thought, me being as naive as I was, I thought kidnapping protesters in Portland with unmarked cars and disappearing them, I thought that was the line. I was like, okay, this is the line. Uh, but they continue to move the line further. And it's, it's pretty alarming at how fast that line gets moved. And we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't underestimate the evil of this administration. And I, I, I don't use the word evil lightly. I think we are literally fighting evil in this election. It's not just a Democrat versus Republican, liberal versus conservative, red versus blue. I mean, this is, a, this is truly a fight against evil. And I, I want people to understand that evil is on the ballot. And whether or not we, we are ruled by evil forces um, will uh, be up for, de- for decision in November. We're talking to Carl Gibson. He is an independent journalist who you can find at carlgibson.substack.com. If that, uh, if it, the title throws you, remember when you get there, it'll say free chicken and beer. Uh, but that's carlgibson.substack.com where you can find him amongst other places. And Carl, um, I got to tell you, the one thing I'm trying to make sure to get across to people who may even for whatever reason be fans of Trump, maybe they followed his television career and just think he's a hilarious buffoon, whatever, or can't really whatever, for whatever reason, see him as being the mastermind and centerpiece behind any kind of massive evil organization. Okay. If you're going to say that, fine. But he is allowing this kind of evil to permeate the administration where it counts so that people like Attorney General Barr and the Department of Justice can declare whole cities to be anarchist and uh, honest, honest to gosh, Carl, that's just one. That's 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 the precursor to declaring federal martial law someplace. Yeah, um, and I really just want to drive that home too. Uh, I don't think that uh, Trump speaks for his entire base. I think a good twenty to thirty percent of his base, absolutely hardcore, no no hold no holds barred kind of fanaticism. Absolutely, I think the other seventy to eighty percent. Uh, I think are people who are like my grandparents. Uh, they are old. They're scared. Uh, they see uh, what the media shows them about the protests, which while they're not largely nonviolent, and you'll see that in the streets, the media will show the most sensational images, the looting, the burning. The, if it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. And I've, I've been an editor. I've been a producer. I've, I've, I've seen those decisions get made right in front of me. So I think most of our people like my grandparents, they're decent people. Uh, They're old and they're scared and they're easily manipulated by media. And I want to reach out to those people and just remind them, we are all Americans. We are all human beings. We are all on the same side here. And what you see, you know, in your heart is not right. And what you know to be right uh, is not what's being reflected in this administration. And I really hope that those 70 to 80% of those Trump supporters will reconsider their support um, this time around. Cause I, I really do have faith that uh, we're not past the point of no return and that we can save hearts and minds before it's too late. Uh, indeed. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking to Carl Gibson here again. The article is called Civil War II is Already Underway. If Dems Don't Fight, the Union is Lost, found at carlgibson.substack.com, his uh, substack known as Free Chicken and Beer. Carl, I want to thank you for coming on the program and helping uh, just illuminate all of these points that we, I, I don't know about you, but I think absolutely have to get expressed out there. Well, thanks for having me again, Aldous. And, um, Happy birthday. I hope, uh, hope everyone goes to carlgibson.substack.com who's listening to this. Uh, smash that pink subscribe button and uh, you'll get an email in your inbox every time I publish something new. It is a bold, bold pink. <laughs> That's how you notice it. <laughs> all right, Carl, thank you very much. You're listening to TMI with all this Tyler and we'll be right back.
we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Wisconsin's going to continue to require people to wear face masks indoors after the state here saw a surge of new COVID-19 cases. There's been a new emergency order placed by Governor Tony Evers because of that. Um, this order was issued on Tuesday, coupled with the declaration of a public health emergency. The order is effective immediately, according to the governor's office, and is due to the steeply rising cases, particularly among people between the ages of 18 and 24. Governor Evers said in the news release, we continue to learn more about this virus, but what we do know is that we are facing a new and dangerous phase of the COVID-19 pandemic here in Wisconsin. He continued, we are seeing an alarming increase in cases across our state, especially on campus. We need folks to start taking this seriously, and young people especially. Please stay home as much as you're able. Skip heading to the bars. Wear a mask wherever you go out. We need your help to stop the spread of this virus. And we all have to do this together. Now, Governor Evers' announcement came as the coronavirus-related deaths here in the United States topped the 200,000 mark. Grim, grim benchmark, that is. Now, Wisconsin, however, is experiencing unprecedented, near-exponential growth of the virus. Um, the daily number of new cases rose from an average of 678 at the end of August to 1,791 just this past Monday. That increase has been driven in part by the unprecedented number of infections among 18 to 24-year-olds who have a case rate five times higher than other age groups. Now, masks were already required in the state following a similar order that was made in July that was set to expire on September 28th. Though new cases slowed in August, the statement uh, for the new order said, the reopening of schools has caused another jump. This order attempts to address that rise by lengthening the mask requirement for another 60 days or until another order is issued. The jump has occurred just in the last month, the release said, and six of the eight cities with the fastest rise tend to have a UW system campus on them. Now, this new executive order will require anyone age five and older to wear a face mask covering when indoors or in an enclosed space other than a private residence. So, you know, just to be clear, guys and gals and everybody, um, we were actually slowing things down. Um, if you've uh, ever seen my own Facebook um, timeline, uh, since this pandemic really began to take hold in March, I've been keeping track of Wisconsin's daily um, infected, uh, confirmed infected cases for COVID-19. And, uh, you know, I've watched them climb. I've watched the rate grow. And throughout the summer, it was just getting really bad looking until, until things started slowing down. The first 10,000 came pretty slowly. The second 10,000 from 10 to 20,000 came really fast. Um, the third, uh, from 20 to 30, that came very quickly. The fourth one from 30 to 40 also was a very fast rate. Um, uh, but then, um, from, um, 
onward, each 10,000 benchmark started slowing down in how many days it took to get there. Suddenly, 50,000 took longer time, like 11 days. 60,000 took 12 days. 70,000 took like 14 days. And, um, but all of a sudden, September hit and we hit 80,000 faster than, uh, than the previous 10,000 jump, less days. And then the same thing happened with 90,000. It was even faster. And we hit a hundred thousand in about four and a half days between 90 and a hundred thousand. And that was just shattering any former, uh, any former level of, um, outbreak that we'd had before. So we are right now, as far as total new confirmed cases of COVID-19 is concerned, we are right now experiencing far greater numbers than we have had at any point since the pandemic took hold, like double. Now, in news releases, uh, Chancellor Rebecca Blank um, has said, well, that's just because we're testing more. And unfortunately, this is absolutely contrary to the facts. What helps here is if you keep track of the percent positive case rate. Now, when we started testing back in March, we had positive case rates each day um, between, say, 4 and 6%. You know, nothing that alarming. Which What that is, is that means of all the tests processed that day, somewhere between four to six percent of the tests were coming back as positive for COVID-19 infection. Um, SARS-CoV-2, if you prefer. Now, as it rolled onward, we uh, got into where it got to close to 10 percent, you know, about nine to 10 percent throughout April. And that was uh, that was alarming when getting up to 10 percent on the positives on a pandemic. That's means there's an awful lot of infection going on. Well, then, as uh, as the orders kicked in and people started paying attention, uh, that did start dropping. We managed to drop it down to back down to the four to six percent, um, and we even hit a nice lull right in June of around three percent, um, and that remained three to four percent or so um, until about just before July first. At that point, it started climbing up again. We started having test results coming back around five to six. And it kept in the sixes for uh, percent positive. Um, Now, again, I'm I'm going on seven-day averages here. So these are seven-day rolling averages. Every uh, date that I'm scrolling over right now at the data you can find at www.dhs.wisconsin.gov slash COVID-19 slash data.htm. Every date I'm rolling over is uh, gives you an um, seven-day spread from that date behind it for an average percentage of positive cases by all cases tested. And uh, so we were creeping up to about 7% or so uh, by the beginning of August. And by the end of August, we had um, gotten just about 8% average. All right. So again, not great. Um, 
we were starting to see a little acceleration, but the fact is, is that still not like nothing absolutely horrific yet. Then September rolled in. All of a sudden it jumps to 10%, 11%, 12, 13. And um, by the time we're talking about halfway through the month and September 14th, we were at 15%. And um, as it happens, we've remained right there. Uh, as of the most recent measurement, that's uh, 14.9%. So it it's not that we are testing more or testing less. That doesn't matter. The percent positive of the tests we are doing has increased. So if you understand um, how math works, uh, a percent of something is a ratio. And it'll tell you how uh, much of a certain item is con constituted that way. So basically, there are more sick people on average in these tests than there ever has been before. We've never had averages above 10% until now. Not, not uh, for a seven-day rolling average. So, I mean, I apologize to the chancellor, but uh, uh, Rebecca Blank, this is not just us testing more and trying to make you look bad. We're not trying to make you look bad. We're trying to cooperate with you. We're trying to get things moving so that everyone can have as healthy an outcome as possible. Now, yes, there's been a Twitter war back and forth between uh, Rebecca Blank and Joe Parisi, the Dane County executive, who's saying that the campus should go completely online. Um, and, uh, well, I understand. Look, I, I get that there will be some chafing there. Um, Ms. Blank does not uh, appreciate anybody telling her how to do her job. And I get that. Okay. Rebecca Blank, it's, it's your job. But you got to do it. You gotta do it. And uh, right now we are looking at a situation where the UW system is the driving force in this state behind an increase in pandemic infections. Something's gotta be done. The ball's in your court. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. Slow-mo, video vertigo, test for a 
Tyler. Now, in the first segment on this episode, we talked to Carl Gibson, who uh, was talking about how there's essentially a civil war underway already um, on his piece at carlgibson.substack.com. Um, but there is an interesting uh, piece that got posted uh, to Medium recently by Mike Selinker, um, who uh, basically posted, he said, I'm a war game designer. 
I co-developed the first reboot of Axis and Allies and its D-Day edition, made a mythological Risk game called Risk Godstorm, and burned down both the Roman Empire in Gloria Mundi and medieval France in Veritas. I write about game theory learned from simulating war outcomes, and like many people, I'm stuck on this as the likely outcome of our situation. We're facing a civil war. Now, up until yesterday, Mike wasn't thinking the Civil War was probable. But then, he wrote this the day after, um, but then Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. With her likely went the last chance the 2020 election will end peacefully, he says. After all, RBG told her granddaughter, My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. No, it seems unlikely that that wish will be heeded, uh, though with everything this year, you never know. Uh, Republicans now have a three and a half month window to install an unbreakable six to three majority on the Supreme Court between conservative and uh, more uh, <laughs> more liberal justices. Um, if they can do that, uh, abortion rights, voting rights, gay rights, most civil rights in general are pretty well on the chopping block. But you see, it's worse than that, because we expect this election to be contested. Now, for contested elections, you can think back to uh, Bush v. Gore in 2000, that kind of thing. And the problem with that is, if the conservative end of the court has the majority before the election is, you know, happens... Um, it doesn't matter who wins the election because a six to three court like that will probably kit bash some reason to hand Trump a second term. So the Democrats are threatening that filling Ginsburg's seat prior to the election means that they will create two to four more seats right after they win the Senate. If that happens, they might add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states or, or even change the rule of apportionment. They might, um, as it has been put, act ruthlessly. You know, because we no longer have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so ruthlessly. The thing is, this is the stuff that wars are made of. We find ourselves in a country where both sides can't imagine that their loss would be legitimate. If Biden loses, his supporters will blame GOP trickery and voter disenfranchisement. Rightfully so. Uh, Again, think back to my interview in late July with uh, Greg Palast. Um, If Trump loses, his supporters will blame voter fraud and riots because, let's face it, Trump has been painting that to his supporters as being a thing. He's been going, mail voting is is illegitimate, it's it's, it's rife with, with fraud, which is false, but... He's been doing that. And of course, he's been all over the uh, cities who uh, have been plagued um, by unrest, if you will. But I, honestly, they're the cities where the uh, the Black Lives Matter, George Floyd protests have actually made enormous progress. But anyway, he's been pointing at these as being problems. And so his supporters are going to see uh, see his loss as some sort of uh some sort of uh, trickery on the part of uh, our side of things. So it doesn't matter if either of them, however, is real and the other one isn't. Uh, We're heading toward a reckoning. Because the stakes are this high, both sides have a huge incentive to fight for their outcome. 
Now, you, you remember uh, back in uh, May, we had um, these folks deciding to show up at the Michigan State Capitol with uh, AKs. Um, no one, no one stopped them from intimidating the Michigan legislature then. And why would these people be shy about showing back up uh, now? The only barricade to the Senate filling Ginsburg's seat are if Repub- enough Republican senators come out against it. Uh, and unfortunately, Romney has said he's fine with uh, going ahead and doing it. So pretty much at this point, that seals it. Because unless four Republican senators break with their party and solidly refute to vote, uh, refuse to vote for a new justice, um, you've got either enough senators or you've got a 50-50 tie, and that means Pence breaks the, the tie and you know where he's going with it. Also, keep in mind that those four Republican senators will get thousands of death threats. With an open Supreme Court seat and an election whose incumbent has already called it fraudulent, this is as bad a constitutional crisis as we've seen in a century and a half. You don't have to take my word for it. The Transition Integrity Project, a group of more than 100 current and former Senior political campaign leaders on both sides simulated the election in a quote-unquote war game in June. Uh, I actually talked about this uh, back then on TMI. They tested four scenarios. A big Biden victory, a narrow Biden win, an indeterminate result like back in 2000, and a narrow Trump victory. In all but the Biden blowout, the country descended into chaos. They wrote, We anticipate lawsuits, divergent media narratives, attempts to stop the counting of ballots, and protests drawing people from both sides. The potential for violent conflict is high, particularly since Trump encourages his supporters to take up arms. Now, Trump's supporters expect two large-scale riots in the fall. One will come right after Election Day when Trump will be ahead in the vote count. This is because we're in a pandemic and Republicans are going to vote in person while Democrats will vote by mail, by and large. And uh, I actually covered this uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on TMI here, I believe uh, on September 4th episode, that basically we're looking at um, Trump being ahead on election night if this holds, because his people don't believe this pandemic is anything to worry about. And uh, and if you don't believe this pandemic is anything to worry about, you look like a Trump supporter, so please don't do that. Um, so again, his, his people don't believe this is pandemics anything to worry about. They'll be there on election night, which means that the votes that will be counted by the time election night is done are going to make it look like Trump is way ahead. And then what, of course, happens is that the Democrats will then count the mail-in ballots, which will give Biden the win. And of course... According to uh, Republicans, that will be fraud. That's mail-in voting fraud. The last time we had this kind of crisis was the election of 1876, when Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden were effectively tied. Three southern states sent in competing ballots of electors. That is, each party claimed their guy had won. It took until the Compromise of 1877, where the Republican Hayes got the presidency in exchange for the Democrat Tilden getting federal troops out of the South, condemning generations of African Americans to the ravages of Jim Crow. And the time before that, (laughs) if you get asked what single event started the Civil War, you might say the Siege of Fort Sumter. 
That's just what started the shooting. What started the war was the election of Abraham Lincoln. Because of their infamous debate, most people think the 1860 general election was between the Republican Lincoln and the Democrat Stephen Douglas. But there were two other candidates, Constitutional Unionist John Bell and Southern Democrat John Breckinridge. Only Breckinridge was pro-slavery. Lincoln won only a plurality of the turnout, which, by the way, was 81% of the eligible voters turned out. Huge amount. Now, um, Bell won three states in the South, and Breckinridge won seven more, because in the South, no ballots that contained Lincoln's name were distributed. Now, Lincoln could not have won the popular vote in any manner other than a mass write-in. He sure wasn't going to get that. When Lincoln won a clear majority of the Electoral College, the Southern secessionists banded together in an attempt to throw the election to the House of Representatives, the, the current one, not the newly elected one. It didn't work, but the ground was laid. The South was leaving and not coming back voluntarily. I mean, it took three quarters of a million soldiers. Americans of the South and Americans of the North, it took their lives before the Union was restored. A rebellion against a president with the majority of the Electoral College, but a minority of the popular vote? Where have we heard that one? Our situation is primed for a similar outcome. What makes its likelihood greater is that right now, the United States of America has 393 million guns. No, no, not people. We don't have that many people. We have 393 million guns. Of those, only one million are registered. So let me let me try to get this back to you here. Make you understand the, the, the gravity of the situation. The United States of America, one million registered guns, 393 million actual firearms. Gun sales went stratospheric this year, 2020. Whether because of fears of COVID or rioters or Trump invasion of the cities, people stocked up. In the month of July alone, Americans bought 3.6 million guns per FBI background checks. We don't know how many were bought without those checks. Now, I suspect, but don't know for sure, that many of those guns were bought by right-wing Christian militias. This week, North Carolina evangelical pastor Rick Joyner, who heads Morningstar Ministries, called a civil war inevitable and urged his followers to take up arms against Black Lives Matter which he referred to as the KKK of this time. Ugh. He said, we're in a time for war. We need to recognize that. We need to mobilize. We need to get ready. I'm talking to law enforcement. I'm talking to people. And one of the things I saw in my dream about the Civil War was that militias would spring up like mushrooms. And it was God. These were good militias. What I also saw in my dream was the Lord had seeded America with veterans from the Iraq War, Afghanistan, all these wars we've been in recently. Many who know how to fight in urban warfare are going to be a part of the leadership of these militias and help us in what's about to unfold in our own country. That was the dream of an influential pastor. We need to be prepared for the fact that we may be looking at some pretty upsetting times coming up. Now, I want you to not leave this whole thing on a completely negative note. I want you to remember that you can see the world clearly for yourself. What you need to do first is close your eyes Find that center in yourself. Remember what matters to you. 
then you'll be able to see the world for how it is. All you have to do is 